0: Host Sean Needham. And I am actually, this is an interesting story today. So you know how technology just always seems to go away when you need it. Um, but not really, because you, how often does it work when you don't expect it? When you, it works most of the time. But we remember when it doesn't work. So um, my guest today is Stacey Purcell with Embrace Women's Health. And she is right across the street from my podcast studio at my pharmacy at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy. And I got into the studio today and I had no internet. It's like, uh-oh. So I'm like, hey, can I come over to your office? So I am actually streaming live from Stacy's office right now in a different room from her. <laughs> So, um, you don't want to miss out on this show today cause she's going to talk, she's a midwife and she's going to talk to us about, um, what a midwife does and I'm super excited to have her on. Um, so Stacy, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you for having me. This is uh, my first real live podcast, so this is a little intimidating. So if I ramble a little much, don't hesitate to cut me off. Well, now that I know
0: that, I'm gonna. I've got a list of <laughs> questions. I'm gonna put you on the spot with.
1: <laughs> All right, sounds good.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, we we appreciate you being on, and I'm super excited. We've never had a midwife on before, and um, I'm excited for you to share share your story. So, speaking of stories, um, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, how did you get here in Moses Lake being a midwife?
1: Um, oh, goodness gracious. So um, we moved to Moses Lake. It'll be 13 years, um, actually this weekend, Memorial Weekend, 13 years ago. Um, and we moved for nothing else but the sunshine. Um, no good reason other than that. And um, at the time, I was a labor and delivery nurse. And um, I um, it was kind of comical. I, had just, I was actually pregnant when we moved. And so then... Um, I had my baby in August. And so about the time that I was ready to go back to work, which was kind of after the holidays, um, Samaritan was on a hiring freeze. So that put a damper on that. Um, and so I actually didn't get hired on until the spring. So I started as the, um, working on the floor at Samaritan as a labor and delivery nurse in April of 2010. Seems like just yesterday, but mm-hmm. a million years ago as well. Um, and so I, um, I I worked there. Um I was per diem a lot of the time or part-time and um I just loved what I did. Like I just love supporting women. I love getting the challenging labors where your doc thinks you're gonna go to C-section and it's like, no, we can get this baby out. And um, you know, just the longer I did it, the um the more I was like, Why do I do all the hard work? And then the doc comes in and catches the baby. Like that doesn't seem fair. Like I worked my tail off to get us to this point. You're gonna come in and be the hero and catch the baby. Um, so at that point, I just started kind of like looking into what it would take to go to the next step. Um, I always always admired um, the midwives that I worked with, and you know, um, was just kind of scared. It just you know, fear is is strong, and it I just was too intimidated to like make that leap until a coworker of mine actually um, applied to the program I was looking into. And I was like, oh my goodness, she just stole my program. And so um, at two o'clock one morning, um, working night shift, I filled out my application and I was like, oh my gosh. And then the next day I woke up from sleeping, you know, night shift girls, slept all day. And I had a voicemail from the recruiter um, at Georgetown University, which is based in DC. It was for their distance program. And um, I said to my husband, I I did something. And he's like, What do you mean you did something? I'm like, Well, you know how I've been talking about going back to school. So kind of started my application, and I kind of feel like I should continue. So um he was like, Oh, okay, so we'll just continue and we'll see what happens. And I got accepted, and and that's kind of how the story of of me um continuing my education and and moving into the provider role as a midwife um, started. And so um I graduated from Georgetown University um, in December of 2017. Um, it was a distance program. I got to go back to DC three times, um, which was amazing. Georgetown is an exceptional program. Um, so many of my professors were like the authors of our textbooks, which was which was really cool and intimidating at the same time. Um, and so I started my career um, as a midwife at Community Health. Um, I did some training with Dr. Verhage, um, who was the medical director there, and, um, and then also Ryan Rasmussen while he was there. I always joke and say he was at community health long enough to train me before he went back to Samaritan, um, and um, about a, a year and um, a month. It was April 12th um, of 2021 is when we opened our doors. So um, decided to make the leap of faith to open my own practice in town, um, which has been an adventure to say nothing um, less than that. Oh my goodness. Um, but we're still standing and we're here and I'm talking to you guys. So
0: I crazy. love it. Yeah, I love it. And yeah, it's been so it's been a little over a year now.
1: Yeah, which is crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So tell us
0: a little bit um, for my education and our listeners and viewers, tell us what is a midwife? What does a midwife do?
1: Okay. So there are several different types of midwife. Um, there are midwives that their education is in nursing. There's midwives that are licensed midwives and, um, and those there's kind of different um, like paths you can take to be a midwife. I am a um, mine is rooted in nursing. So um, I have my master's in nursing and I am a advanced nurse practitioner. So I am a nurse practitioner with a focus in nurse midwifery as well as women's health. So I took two certifications. I set for two board exams to be certified in both as a women's health nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. So the easiest way to explain a midwife is we do um, as far as care for pregnant patients, um, we do all the same type of care as a, um, doctor would do, except we are on like a, a lower to moderate risk scale. So anything that's considered high risk, we're going to, um, pull in our resources, tag team, collaborate with, um, an MD, um, as far as like C-sections go, um, Sorry, my husband just sent me an email that I that made my heart flutter. A lot of <laughs> <drama> <laughs> my life. Um, so, um, so as far as C-section goes, we assist. Um, we are not surgeons. So, um, but as far as like your routine OB care, you see me in the clinic for that. Um, I order all your ultrasounds, all your lab work. It's it's, it's pretty much you. Most people wouldn't notice the difference if they were going to a midwife or a doctor except in the bedside manner and the the education piece that you receive from a midwife. So um, our education is rooted in nursing. So we definitely have more of that nursing bedside manner than the MD bedside manner. And so um, for me personally, I love my mama's, um, Labor and delivery is my passion. And so I love supporting mamas in birth. Um, and so you will see me at the bedside a lot more. Um, I probably drive some of the nurses crazy because they're like, oh, my goodness, like, this is my job, like, back up off. However, that was my job for a really long time. Right. So it's really easy just to, like, slide right into that nursing role. Um <laughs> And so that would be, you know, essentially like what a midwife is. Um, I also do women's health from adolescence and on. So that's going to be about age 10 um, unless somebody starts their period before the age of 10. Then I can see them as well um, throughout their lifespan.
0: Now, you talked about you don't um, take care of high risk patients. So can you explain what a high risk patient is for delivery?
1: So um, I so. The easiest way to say that is, um, I I don't want to say I don't do high risk. I collaborate with high risk. So for an example, um, let's say I have a mama who um, has a history of high blood pressure. She comes in, she's pregnant. Her blood pressure is beautiful. um, And... We're paying close attention to it. I collaborate with maternal fetal medicine in Spokane. So I have them do the ultrasound piece for their anatomy, which is around 20 weeks. And that um, maternal fetal medicine specialist reviews that ultrasound and makes recommendations um, based on the patient's history. They also do a virtual visit with the patient, um, go over their history and kind of make a plan and say, does this patient need extra monitoring? Is this patient good to be treated as normal Um, moving forward? Um, and so that patient comes back to me, I see them if they need extra monitoring in the clinic, I do that here. If they need extra ultrasounds, I will order those. Um, and then let's say they come in all of a sudden their blood pressure spiked and it's in a severe range. At that point, that's when I reach out to um for me, my um backup provider is Dr. Tolly at Community Health, and I um to have a conversation with him, fill him in on what's going on with our patient and you know where things have changed. And then um, an example would be that patient needs to go to the hospital now. So I go to the hospital, Dr. Tali meets at the hospital and we take care of that patient together. So he is going to be more responsible for like, let's give this medication, let's give that dose now, let's increase that dose now, where I'm going to be there more emotionally supporting my patient, reassuring her, explaining her like, okay, this is why we're giving you this medicine. This is what this medicine is going to do. Um or, you know, your blood pressure is not responding, we need to get you to Spokane. And this is what to expect on your way to Spokane. So um, it's, it's worked really well. Um, granted, I haven't had a ton of patients that, that move to that high risk. You know, um, things that are really gonna make you high risk are going to be like blood pressure issues, diabetes that isn't controlled by diet. Um, you know, um, if you are- what about, what about twins? Um, I don't do twins. I actually had my first set of twins, um, in the office. So I've seen her for a couple visits, um, and she's going to go on to Dr. Tolly. Um, and so if she has a C-section, then I will assist in that C-section and then, um, I can take care of her postpartum. And
0: then what about uh, breach?
1: So breach is a fun one. Um, (laughs) just just did this one. So we don't do breach deliveries, um, at the hospital unless, um, unless it's too late, like you got feet hanging out, um, which has happened. Um, and so how that works is most babies will settle in position around 34 weeks. So, you know, if you got a baby that's still breached at 34 weeks, you need to pay closer attention. Um, and so what we can do is aversion, which is where you manually flip the baby from outside the belly. And we do that in the hospital setting. We do it with resource ready to go to C-section. Um, and so I actually, um, one of my patients not too long ago was was consistently breached. She was breached with her second baby. This was her third baby. It was breached. So we did a version around 37 weeks in hopes that that kid would stay down um, and she would go into labor on her own. Well, that child was stubborn, flipped right back within a couple <laughs> of days. So then she went, started contracting and we went in the hospital um, and um, Dr. came in, Dr. Tolly came in and flipped the kid again. So, um, that's something that Dr. Tolly does. Um, I'm there for that. Um, and if he needs any help, I do do help, but typically he handles it beautifully on his own. Um, and so that baby did flip and we sent her home for two days. The kid stayed down. She came back we induced her, um, got her delivered. So that's what we do for breach.
0: Now, <clears throat> I think some people, and, and this is true. Help me, help educate me, and our listeners and viewers. Um, some midwives deliver babies at home. Um, you yes. deliver babies at the hospital. Can you tell us um, a little bit about that?
1: Um. Yes. So, with my, you know. A lot of things in life are just based on your experience, like how you feel about things is based on how you've experienced them. And so with my background being a labor and delivery nurse, I've seen what happens when home deliveries go bad. And so I'm a very much risk versus benefit girl. And to me, there is no benefit to the risk of losing your baby or a mama doing a home delivery. that doesn't mean that bad things don't happen in the hospital setting. However, we have resources to intervene and hopefully prevent those bad things from happening. Um, if you have something like a placenta abruption, like your your placenta is coming away from the wall, the baby is at risk for hemorrhaging and bleeding out, you have six minutes to get that kid out. And so, even if you're literally across from the hospital, it's gonna take you longer to six minutes to get in an OR. And so. That just risk versus benefit isn't isn't there for me. Um, I feel I can offer mamas um, a natural, supportive birth in the hospital setting. Um, I've had patients that don't want any interventions, and and that's fine. I educate and explain like why you know like a lot of our mamas get IVs when you get admitted to the hospital. I've had moms that don't want an IV, and I explain to them, okay. That's fine, but you have to understand in an emergency, it's harder to get an IV started than now when everything is calm and we have time. If you're bleeding out and we need an IV, it's going to be stressful. It's going to be, you know, we may not get it. There's going to be a risk of a bad outcome because we don't have that access already. And if they understand that and they agree to that, then that's fine. Um, You know, the last one that didn't want an IV, she did beautifully. She did not have an IV. She... Got a little bit of I am pitocin after she delivered, just to help prevent um, bleeding too heavily after delivery, and it was beautiful, completely unmedicated, um, very limited interventions. So that's kind of that's my rationale,
0: right? So you talked about when we talk about when we we're talking about high risk. Um, I'm trying to back up and remember. You said something about um, you haven't really had a lot of. That is that correct? You haven't had a lot of high risk stuff. Um, Um,
1: I haven't. I haven't had. Um, I haven't had a lot of patients that have turned where we've need like where I've needed Dr. Tolly's help. Um, there's. I feel like we have this joke that things come in threes, and so um, I did have a couple that did spike blood pressure issues, and they got helicopter rides to Spokane. Um, But other than that. most of my patients have do beautifully. So,
0: so my guess is one of the reasons why is because prenatal care is super important. So you're not, you don't have any surprises at 40 weeks, right?
1: <laughs> right? So yes. Like, so tell us a little bit about that. So yes. So, um, prenatal care is definitely, um, a very important piece. Um, there are things that if are caught earlier then we can treat and manage and intervene. Um, for an example, um, one of my patients that had the high blood pressure, she had taken her blood pressure at home. And because she had access to me, she was able to send me um, a picture via text to of what her blood pressure was. And she was like, didn't know what to do with that. She's not a medical professional. Like, she's, like She knew it was high, but she was like, do I take more medicine? Do I go to the ER? And her blood pressure was so severe. I was like, you go straight to the hospital. And so I feel like that particular patient could have stayed home and could have had a seizure because she didn't have the access to me to tell her like, no, let's go to the hospital. And we were able to to intervene and get medicine on board sooner than later.
0: So tell us the most rewarding story that you have delivering a baby, whether you're a labor and delivery nurse or whether you're a midwife. I, I know you <laughs> must have tons of them. I, I'm kind of, I'm not jealous, but I'm kind of I love talking to OB um, um, doctors and midwives because I mean you guys get to do some cool stuff. To, to bring a baby into the world is, you know, in, in by and large you're you're bringing in a, health, a healthy person into the world. It must be the the coolest feeling. I can tell you as a father, just seeing my kids born is the coolest thing. I can't imagine seeing it hundreds of times. So yeah. tell us a great story. I know you have lots of. Them.
1: Um, goodness gracious. I'm one of those people where you put me on the spot and I'm like, I I know nothing. (laughs) There's nothing in there. Um, so I would say, um, Probably this, the breach one that I was talking about, like that one, that, that poor mama, she, um, I'd actually seen her, um, for all three of her pregnancies. Um, I delivered her first baby and then my partner delivered her second baby. I was out sick. I was supposed to be on call that day. I was so devastated that I missed it. Um, but she did beautifully. And then this go around, um, we actually ran into each other at the fair. We had a booth at the fair this year. And so a lot of my previous patients didn't know like where I went or what had happened. And, um, my previous clinic wasn't allowed to, you know, if the receptionist, you know, they just could say, Stacey's no longer here. Like they weren't allowed to be like, Oh, she's down the street. You could call her here. Um, and so just seeing that patient at the fair was super um, exciting and to see her littles. Um, and then just to like continue to, um, like make a plan like, okay, this baby is breech and okay, we're going to try this at 37 weeks. This baby is not staying down. You know, a lot of providers won't um, flip a baby more than once. Like it's it's really rare to do that. Um, there definitely are some risks with versions. Um, my um, backup provider doesn't like his patients to be um, like have numb, like a lot of times we'll do epidurals or spinals. He doesn't like that because he can't tell how painful it is. And so if you are got an epidural, you're like, whatever, do your thing. And, he, you know, that can increase risk of complications where he, if you can feel everything he's doing, there's a big difference between the pressure of, of rotating a baby versus the pain of your placenta, you know, pulling away from the wall. So um, that piece is definitely important as to why, like, it was okay to try again, and the baby flipped really easily. Had plenty of fluid, um, and so it was just—it was very rewarding to be like, okay, we finally got this kid flipped. And then I had to fight for her because the the hospital has very strict policies on like you can't intervene before 39 weeks. Unstable is not a medical reason, which drives me absolutely bonkers. And so we put a belly band on this girl and like tied her up with this like um, binder to hopefully keep this baby in place. And then I brought her in at midnight um, on a Friday night. So she showed up like 15 minutes before to get her, um, start her induction. Cause we couldn't do it till she was officially 39 weeks. And then we, we started the process. And so just being there for that third baby and um, just watching her littles grow, um, are it's just, it's very special. It's very sweet. And just to be there to be like, okay, we're going to get this. Like, cause she was terrified of a C-section like that was like her worst nightmare. And, you know, just to be able to continue like, okay, like let's reassess, like, what can we do now? Like what's going to be safe? What's going to be best? And just reaching that goal of that, that vaginal birth. And she did amazing. And, um, yeah.
0: That is a great story. And, and it makes me wonder, I mean, so three of her babies were breached, right? Is that what you said?
1: Two of them were. Her first one was them. not. She has big babies and she has a lot of fluid. And so there's just, once there's all that uterus is stretched out, there's all that room. And so her second baby just like had all this, you know, room to swim around and they like to be breached. But her second baby, they flipped once and stayed down. This child, the third one, you know, the third one's always the troublemaker. And you
0: and you gotta wonder I mean, I'm just thinking just physiologically speaking is there a reason that baby was not wanting to flip what would um, the reason be
1: there may, I mean there definitely could be um it's it's one of those things where you probably would need like an an MRI to like really see what the uterus like sometimes right. they have unique shapes to them um, it flipped beautifully but obviously had plenty of room to flip right back so. It's it's hard to know definitively.
0: The baby um, just did not want to be down, no. did he? <laughs> <laughs> I can just picture that in my head. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going back up.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the way she wanted uh, to be. So,
0: so let's let's move on to um, women's health. So, tell us a little bit about what you do with women's
1: health. So um, I do a lot of, um, you know, preventative healthcare. So your routine well woman exams with your pap smears, screening for cervical cancer, educating on what cervical cancer is, how you can get it. Um, I do a lot of birth control um, education and implementing. Um, I offer IUDs, um, something that's kind of exciting. I don't know if, with you being a pharmacist, if you're familiar with the Liletta. if you've heard of that at all. So I have not. Help me. Like, Please educate me. It's the equivalent of a Morena. It's literally the same drug, same dose. Um, it's FDA approved for six years. The Morena is FDA approved for seven. It's been around a little bit longer. Um, they have their paperwork in with the FDA to get approved for the seven years and the, the heavy periods. Because right now, Mirena is the only thing that's approved to treat heavy periods. Um, this hopefully soon. Um, this one is definitely more cost effective if you are somebody who's um, on a, a self-pay or uninsured. Um, and then it also has like a kickback. Like they have this goal of getting birth control access to women around the world Um, when they first started every iudu placed they would supply one to um some place in need um i think that got a little little costly so now they just um donate a part of portion of their (laughs) proceeds um to the organization i want to say it's like three medicine 360 are you familiar with that at all I've heard that term. Yeah, I've heard about them. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah. So this is something I just met with the rep um, this week on Monday, um, and so I'm really excited to offer that because um, a morena is like over a thousand dollars just for the device, and that's that's a lot. Yes, if you divide it up over seven years, you know all that good stuff, but still, it's a lot to be like, oh yeah, hook me up with that. So.
0: And so what's um, the cost of this one?
1: This one I haven't got my final, but it's it's about half.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And yeah, over over seven years, that's a very cost effective birth control for sure. Yeah. But you still you do how to come up with the money up front. So yeah. And that, and that might so, be difficult um, for some people. So yeah. but that's a lot less expensive than Marina. So
1: yes. Um. So
0: do you, Marina, and what's the name of that one you just uh, Lyletta. Lyletta. Liletta. Um. They're both um hormone.
1: Yes. IUDs.
0: Do yes. you insert copper IUDs at all? I do. Okay. Because some patients have a problem with hormone IUDs. Yes. um, And so copper is another option. Can you tell us about a copper IUD?
1: Um, Yes. I actually got a beautiful demo that's in one of my rooms um, just from them yesterday. Um, So the copper uh, um, IUD, so it's, it's shaped very similar. It just has a ring of copper around it. Um, And the way that one works is it's going to change the environment of the uterus. And then ideally it affects the head of the sperm. So it can't penetrate an egg, but because there's no hormones in it, you're still going to ovulate. You're still going to release an egg um, each cycle. Um, And there is a risk of an egg and sperm meeting, just not being able to implant. So I always make sure my parent, my patients are aware of that fact. Um, And then um, one of the most common complaints is you tend to have more cramping with it and your periods can be heavier. So if somebody already suffers from those type of symptoms, it's probably not the best fit. Um, but if somebody has light and unpainful periods and they can't take hormones for one reason or another, I know um, there's a lot of um, like psych drugs, depression meds um, that can be um, affected by the hormone birth control. And so the copper ID is going to be best for those patients.
0: What about effectiveness?
1: Um, effectiveness, it is immediately effective. It can be used for emergency contraception, and um, it's good for ten years.
0: Is that right? And wow. it's like sense.
1: ninety. It's in the ninety, like the ninety-nine percentile. Both the IUDs are in the like the ninety-nine percentile for effectiveness. Um, the Mirena and the Liletta. They take seven days to be effective, um, but. Yeah,
0: and what about cost of the copper IUD?
1: Um, it's very similar to the marina. It's like a couple hundred bucks less.
0: And then what else for women's health? What else do you do for women's health Um, to share?
1: So breast exams, any breast concerns, um, mammogram referrals. Um, Something I also offer is genetic screening for um, cancer. Uh, For something called the Empower, which. tests for, I want to say there's like 40 different genes that it tests for that are related to breast cancer, colon cancer, um, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, And then there's also the ones for men like prostate um, that are tied into it. Um, So that can be beneficial for somebody who has a family history um, of breast cancer and they just want more information on their risk. Um, And then I do um, in-house lab work. So Lily, my medical assistant, who's like my right hand, she does... um, all of our labs. And so if anybody's coming in concerned about their thyroid or their cholesterol, all those kind of routine stuff, you you wanna see like what your blood sugars have been doing, hemoglobin A1Cs, um, we do all of that stuff in house. Um, I also do sports physicals for our younger population. and then um, if you're the menopause and wanting to talk about treatment for that, um, or just kind of taking a closer look at your hormones, like where are you at? Are you are officially in menopause? Like you're pretty sure it's been 11 months, like what's going on type of thing. Um, so, so yeah.
0: Well, that's super cool. So you, you even, I mean, you know, with sports physicals and stuff like that, you kind of do some primary care type stuff. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah.
1: Yeah, awesome. um, and I also do the acute care stuff. Like, um, We do offer COVID swabs. I have. I also have the COVID antibody testing for those that are interested in that. Um, and then if you think you have strep throat or sinus infection, just all those acute things as well. That's really cool.
0: It's really cool. So, Stacy, if somebody has any questions and wants to reach out to you, what is the best way? I'm streaming your website there.
1: <laughs> so um, kind of the most efficient way is to choose the text message, um, which if you go to, I think it's under contact, it should be under contact. Do we have a contact? Where's it. There's let's our phone number. Can, let's see if I can find about? That. Is it about? Maybe it's services. Did that oh, come up? Let's see. I haven't been on my own website in a while (laughs) Yeah, I get it. There's there's two phone numbers. So the one that says text. So that's probably the the easiest, most direct way um, is to shoot us a text message. Um, We have a cell phone that's specifically dedicated. It's even in my teal color, dedicated for the clinic. Um, And then we also have our main line. But um, our hours are a little unique. We try to be available first thing in the morning um, and then... Later in the evening on certain days, and so some people will call it their like normal time. They think a clinic should be open, and we don't answer. So, shooting us a text message, um, we can definitely help you get scheduled that way. Um, so, yeah, or if you just have questions, um, I started doing meet and greets um, just because. Especially with OB care, like you had, like you see your OB provider a lot and you, and sometimes you get a little attached to them. Like mine was an adorable old man. I absolutely loved him. He delivered my sister who is four years younger than me. So he'd been doing it forever. Um, so I totally get that vibe. Like you have to be a good fit. So I offer a meet and greet where we just chat. Like I just kind of tell him my story, like, uh, you know, about myself, my education, why I'm doing what I do, what type of care I provided, um, those type of things. And then they can decide like, yeah, I think you'd be a good fit and then schedule an appointment. So that's, that's definitely super, that's super cool. cool. Yeah.
0: So as we, as we wipe, as we wind this yeah. podcast up, Stacy, um, um, in the last minute, what would you like to tell our listeners and
1: viewers? Um, I would like to tell them that, um, like embrace your, your own healthcare. Like that's my cheesy slogan. And like, um, be empowered and take initiative and fight for yourself like um, in our big clinic setting a lot of things get lost and a lot of people don't get listened to you and there are providers out there that will will listen to you and you just have to find them and if you're in Moses Lake um, I really feel that that's something that I can offer.
0: Awesome I love it well you've definitely realized our goal today of uh, just educating and empowering individuals to take charge of their own health and um, women's health and OB health is very important because there's another person involved and I love it it's so it's so rewarding to uh, to talk about babies I love it um, and I never thought I would say that but as uh, as I reach grandfather years I'm just being honest it gets a little bit easier. <laughs> And my dad always told my dad told me when my kids were born that being a grandpa's uh, not that he didn't like being a dad, but being yeah. a grandpa is a huge blessing and, and better than being a dad because you have to deal with all the bad stuff.
1: Usually. Right. You know, to <laughs> discipline them? I know like we get our baby fix like, oh, one other thing is I do see my newborns. I'm the only midwife in town that sees newborns. Oh, cool. And so I see them, yeah, for, their, their, for the first, like, month of life. So I see them at their initial visit and then at their two-week check. And so um, I absolutely love that piece. That my is cool.
0: Sticks. Right. That's really yeah. cool. So, well, thank oh, you, Stacey, for being on our show. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, and listeners and viewers, tune in Monday. Um, we will have Misty Winter on. She's going to be talking about the food industry and how – it's kind of been ransacked and we've been hacked. The food industry has hacked our health and wellness and she's going to be talking about that. I'm super excited to have her on. So tune in Monday, our, our Monday, um, actually, excuse me, is Memorial Day weekend. So we'll be streaming Tuesday, 12, to 1.30 um, on our, at our, in our usual podcast time and tune in because you, you don't want to miss it. You might be surprised about some of the things that our food industry has done to, kind of make us eat bad food not make us but maybe promote that so tune in thank you for listening and watching today i really appreciate it go to um, our youtube site the mosley professional farms youtube site and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes thank you for listening and watching